Amen. Good welcome. How are we doing this morning, Trinity Church? Can we give it up for the worship team? What a great job this morning. Kind of getting us, getting us preoccupied with God. That's a great way to think of worship in my mind. We are so glad you're here today. Uh, I appreciate you. If you're not a guest, like apparently more than Hilke does, but thank you for, uh, for being here. But we're really glad to see you on this Sunday. For all of you, thank you for making this a part of your weekend plan, being here at Trinity Church. I, I wanted to be the one to share with you that we, as we we're just kind of continuing to develop and grow a culture here at Trinity Church, we really want to be a people of prayer. And we do that in lots of different ways, lots of things that you might never know that are going on behind the scenes. But one we wanted to make very overt, and that was simply this. At the end of the service today, if you would like one of our pastors to pray with you, Bill's going to be over here on this side, Hilke on this side, down in the front. They're not going to counsel you. They're not going to do this, this long time. There's really not time for that, but they would love to pray for you. Something going on in your world today, whether you wrote it on the card or not, they would just like to make that available. So at the end of the service, if you just have something you want to pray about, come see them. They'd be happy to do that. If you don't know them or you pretty are sure they don't know you, you might want to start with, hello, my name is. That helps that conversation versus praying for him or for her is kind of awkward. So, okay? So do that, and we'd love to take advantage of that. Well, for one and all, you are joining us in this series called This is a Football. And we are looking at the book of Ephesians. We're using that kind of famous tagline from the Hall of Fame coach, Vince Lombardi, talking to his team after an incredibly defeating um, defeat at a national championship game before they called it the Super Bowl. And as they were starting to gear up for next year, rather than going to all these kind of um, nuanced and extreme and, and strategic moves, he begins with, let's start with basics. This is a football. And so for us, in the same way, we wanted to start out, what does God say? We're trying to get on the same page with God's design for his church. Why? Because Trinity Church is his church. And so we want to know what he has to say about how we ought to live. And so we're kind of moving through. We got last week, as you're with us today, if you have a Bible, you can open it to Ephesians 4. If you have notes, they're in the worship folder. You can pull those out, kind of track with us a little bit better. Um, by the way, I'm a little underdressed today. I'll tell you about that in a minute. Before you're like, really like, Todd, what is the deal? What's that t-shirt about? I'll tell you, relax. Um, but, uh, but we're diving in and we kind of hit a hinge point last week. You see, the, the first three chapters are pounding in this great way on this idea of whose you are. Now that you're in Christ, if you were here with us last week, what an incredible way to finish that service, you taking those hello, my name is tags and the band playing that song so well and finding posters. And if you walked in today, you saw those already displayed so well in the lobby and reminding us this is whose we are. And the first three chapters have been pushing on that idea. And then we read that hinge verse, chapter four, verse one, I urge you therefore to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. So Paul is saying, this is whose you are. You are no longer that slave up on the block. You've been bought, you've been redeemed, you've been brought home to a heavenly father. Now that that is true, live according to that new identity. And that's what the rest of Ephesians is gonna push on today in an incredibly helpful process. And then the rest of the book, super practical as far as daily things that we face. So today, what we're going to find is the passage, um, Paul is really thick with uh, this idea of clothing. He's actually going to use a metaphor about clothing to push on an idea of how then we live according to whose we are. 
So I brought some clothes. So imagine a guy uh, back in the day in his early life, he was really interested in just kind of going around meeting women, probably in some seedy places. And, uh, and so he had to have the right shirt, right? You had to have this kind of, and, and it, what I was going for originally was some shirt someone might wear when they go clubbing. Instead, I got a little short on the sleeves and it's a little bit more like dancing with the stars, you know? <laughs> So you're like, Todd, whoever would be wearing this shirt trying to pick up on, on ladies, they would be failing anyway, okay, which I get. A little bit in the back, you know, kind of want to go, kind of make a move, you know, on someone, you, um, boom, 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 boom. So my daughters have been having, you know, betting me to do that for weeks, so I thought this is the week to pull it out. So anyway, so as you're going in and you're trying to meet ladies, right? The ladies like the bedazzle. And, he, and this guy, imagine him going around to bars, clubs. He's trying to meet women. It does not go well. He is not successful until finally one day when he's probably not wearing this shirt, he meets a wonderful lady. And they begin a relationship. They begin to date and ultimately to get married. And, and it was on the night before he got married, he actually came across this shirt. It was in his closet and he saw it and he thought, you know, that, that shirt's not going to be really useful anymore. And, and he took that shirt and he, and he uh, put it up on a hanger and stuffed it in the back of his closet and thought, you know, this isn't something I'm going to need anymore because things are changing. Primarily, I've got a ring now. And in doing so, he took the old shirt off, put it away, never expecting to pull it back out again because a ring changed things, changed his identity from single to married. So he's in married life and, and they're doing newlywed life together. They're growing in their relationship and marriage until one day his wife comes home and she brings him home a shirt. And she brings him this great marriage shirt, right? <laughs> this is perfect. She comes home from Target and she goes, here's a nice plaid, you know? It goes well with your eyes, you know, that kind of thing. And so, so it gives you this married shirt. And he looks at it and he goes, you know what? That's a really nice shirt. And he realizes she picks out clothes better than I do. So you're really fine. You're not in any way upset by that. You actually realize she has far superior taste than you do. And you go, this is great. And I, I want to live in my married shirt. And it's good. <laughs> now, you kind of go through th this, this life together, this married life. And he's enjoying and very content in his married shirt. Till one day, maybe it's spring cleaning, he goes through and he's uncovering stuff and he actually find, comes across that old shirt. And what should really be uh, something of his past that either is laughable now or even kind of churns up some thoughts of regret because this was a pretty horrible way to live. What happens when he actually does this and, and tries it on for size? I wonder, I wonder what that, what, how, yeah, so kind of fits. And, and begins to process what would it be like to, to wear this shirt. Maybe he and his wife were going out for dinner that night and he goes, hey honey, what do you think? And for every reason known to mankind, she says, that's a horrible idea. Not only would this shirt be inappropriate for all the right reasons, but think of what that does to her spirit because she knows who he was when he wore that shirt. And the fact that he's thinking of putting it back on again. It's much more than a clothing problem. It really betrays a heart problem. And so what Paul is saying today to the Ephesian church is this. 
you used to wear these clothes. And they actually weren't bedazzled, horrible shirts. They were actually the clothes of slaves. That's what you wore. Ephesians chapter 1. You were on the block in rags when God came and found you. He called you into his home, bought you, redeemed you, and brought you home, gave you new clothes that are very appropriate to whose you are now. And what Paul's going to unpack is this simple thought of remain in the clothing that fits your new identity and don't go back to the old. And so I'm so excited to unpack this passage with you. Look in your notes. Number one today, we begin with this idea, don't live like who you were. Don't live like who you were. Things are different now. There's a change. Ephesians chapter four, verse 17 So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed." Now watch this. Watch the tone. All of a sudden you have Paul. He has been speaking to this group of people he loves so dearly. Remember, he is their spiritual father. He introduced them to the great news of Jesus. He has an incredible affinity for them, but he kind of comes around the corner with some apostolic authority and says, I insist on this. I'm not making a suggestion I'm not telling you it could be a nice idea. I'm telling you it is vitally important that you no longer live according to who you were before you knew Christ. And what Paul's going to do throughout our passage today, he's going to connect two very big dots. And the dots are these, that how you think is very deeply connected to how you behave, how you live. Look in your notes. Feudal thinking is demonstrated by feudal living. Feudal thinking is demonstrated by feudal thinking. There is an incredible connection, even in these first few verses, about how you think determines how you act. Look at some of the phrases. Don't live, act, as the Gentiles do. What? In the futility of their thinking. Their thinking drives how they actually behave. Look at this, the next phrase, darkened in their understanding, so their thoughts, due to the hardening of their hearts. That's an act. The more and more that we continue to say, I'm going to live my life my way, we are actually hardening our hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... It's an idea, a phrase related to our thoughts. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. Act. How you think, how you act, they're inextricably connected. And he's making this really big argument that don't go to either extreme. Don't think on the one hand that if you can just get your actions together, but your heart is far from God, that that's what God's interested in. Because folks, that's what described the Pharisees. By action, incredibly religious, incredibly moral. Their hearts, Jesus continued to say, their lives were like whitewashed tombs, look great on the outside, dead on the inside. So there's no way that Paul is encouraging them just adhere to a new set of rules in God's good, like as though that's the new clothes. 
But in this passage, what he's also saying is over here, don't also go to this extreme where you say, Jesus, I love you. I'm so excited to have this new identity, excited to have this, these new clothes, but I'm going to live like I used to live before I knew you, before you bought and redeemed me. Paul also says that makes no sense. So neither of these extremes, what he's trying to do is connect the dots that how they think relates to how they behave. Think of it this way. If you're in the room today and you're a parent or you've been a parent of young kids in the past or if you might ever be a parent in the future, I guess everyone's included now. Okay, you all fit, okay? Um, So if you're a parent, think of it this way. If you were to say, maybe you're talking to a fellow parent, you were to say, hey, it's really important in our family that our children obey the very first time I, I ask them to do something. It's a big deal. Like first time obedience, really big deal. And they go, oh, okay. And then your, your families are together at, at, at the park, actually, that day when this conversation is going on, how important it is, first time obedience. And then that same parent who just said these words, as they start talking to their child, okay, honey, I'm going to count to three. And you've asked them to do something, they won't do it, now you're counting. And by the time you get to 15, 16, 17, kind of betrays the idea that you really never expected first-time obedience because your action would have been consistent. Instead, you actually, though you said it, you actually didn't truly think it or believe it because actions would have followed. First-time obedience doesn't happen, you get up off your chair and you go do something about it, okay? So that's what Paul is saying. He's saying what you believe and how you think does play out in how you live. But just by giving mental assent to certain types of biblical truths doesn't mean you actually believe them if our behaviors are consistently out of line with them. I want to say this to you because I was processing a little bit in real time last service. I want you to hear that you have maybe heard messages like this before that talk about I mean, basically asking this question, as someone who is in Christ, someone who is a follower of Jesus, then why do you sin anyway? Can I, can I make this disclaimer throughout this message? You absolutely still struggle with sin, and so do I. Let's get over that. I'm, I'm, you're not going to hear me today saying, why don't you get your act together, Christian? What you're going to hear me say is this, if, if we have been told that we have a new identity and we've been told that we're wearing new clothes then the inconsistencies that are in our lives, what are we doing about them? That's really what today's message is about. It's not if you struggle with inconsistencies, is what do you do with your struggles with inconsistencies? Because the last thing I'd want to do is project some message today that you're not good enough because you don't have your act all together. Guess what? The Ephesians did not have their act all together. Paul didn't love them any less because he knew God didn't love them any less. Guess what? He just knew God had better. And that's what today's message is about, living out according to their new nature. But here's the problem. They came from a pretty horrible old nature. That bedazzled clubbing shirt represented a whole lot of garbage in their lives before because they were enslaved to sin. They were enslaved to self. They were enslaved to Satan. Probably the most powerful treatise that Paul writes in the entire New Testament related to the state of things related to who they were apart from before Christ. He lays out so well in Romans chapter one, and I'm quoting this today using the paraphrase, the message, because sometimes the message kind of catches us in a unique way if we're familiar with the text. I'll do that once in a while. Listen to this powerful words about the old clothes. 
Chapter 1, verse 21. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well. But when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. So God said, in effect, if that's what you want, that's what you get. It wasn't long before they were living in a pig pen, smeared with filth inside and out. And all of this because they traded the true God for a fake God. And they worshiped the God they made instead of the God who made them, the God we bless, the God who blesses us. Oh, yes. Worse followed. Refusing to know God, they soon didn't know how to be human either. Women didn't know how to be women. Men didn't know how to be men. Sexually confused, they abused and defiled one another. Women with women, men with men, all lusts, no love. And then they paid for it. Oh, how they paid for it, emptied of God and of love, godless and loveless wretches. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering, and cheating. Look at them, mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers, bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They kept inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditched their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as though they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face, and they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things the best. Whoa. That is an incredible, scathing, um, just overarching picture of who we were before we knew Christ. And you might say, Todd, I didn't do all that stuff. That's fine. You sure did some of it. So did I. And here's this interesting, rather than, and Paul, what he's going to do, by the way, if you follow the argument of Romans, he's saying we all are sinners in need of a savior. It doesn't matter if you're Jew, Gentile, we have all come from this stock. And so my point of bringing it up today is not to make people feel bad. It's simply to say, this is who we were. Praise God, it's not who we are. And it leads us to number two in our notes. Number two, hearing the truth about Jesus changed you. Hearing the truth about Jesus changed you. I love these couple of verses. Chapter four, verse 20. That, however, like that lifestyle, that way is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. I so very much love these couple of verses because what they do is they say, yes, don't live like you used to. This reality of the gospel is meant to be something more than, than just some surfacy um, part of your life. It's meant to be transformative. So don't go back to that old way. But here's this impo- important piece is that Paul is saying, and then this is why. Because you heard Christ. Look at what he says. He doesn't give them a new list of rules. Well, now that you're in Christ, here's the new manual. Here's the new rule book. He doesn't say that. You expect that when you go to a new job. Here's the new employee manual. You expect that when you go to a new school. Here's the school guidelines, the school rules. You might even expect that when you come to a church. Here's the rules, spoken and unspoken, that you're supposed to do here. Paul doesn't give them that. Paul says this, the reality of things changed 
They were displaced, and this is what I love. Literally, the text says, when you heard Christ. Not when you heard about him. Not when you heard of him. When you heard him. See, if you're here today, and your identity has changed, you're no longer on the slave block, but you've been bought and redeemed and brought home, then you heard Christ. You didn't just hear information about him. You found out he loved you. Because that's what changed. That's what changed was not the fact that he was simply another type of religious guru. Not the type that he was some great teacher. Not the fact that he was a historical personality. You found out. You heard him and he said, I'm crazy about you. Because the only way that you get redeemed, the only way you get off the block is if he stands in your place. And that demonstrated, that communicated a love like you've never known before. That's what Paul's saying. You weren't just taught new information. You heard that Christ loves you. You heard that there's a better way to be human. A better way to live out God's design and a new culture to invest in, a new culture to engage in your new household in the family of God. I loved reading over these two verses in particular this week because they reminded me why we do this. Why do we get together week in and week out? And you got to know I've been in ministry for about 24 years and I have asked that question before. There's been some kind of desert times in my soul where I've thought, God, why do we keep doing this? Why do we keep showing up on Sundays and doing this once again? And and there's actually multiple reasons for that, but one of the biggest is this verse, so that you and I might come together weekly to hear Christ, to hear who he says we are now that we're in him, to hear how much he loves you, to hear who his design is for us to become, that's worth it. Right out of college, I taught Christian school for a couple of years, and I had the privilege of teaching a Bible class. I taught sophomore Bible, and in that school year together, we started in Genesis and ended in Revelation. And we were partway through the year. I can't remember where. I remember one day a sophomore young man raised his hand, and he said to me, he said, Mr. Arnett, why do we have to keep going over this stuff? Basically, he was saying, I've gone to church all my life. I've seen all the flannel graph stories. I know this stuff. Why do we keep going over it? And I remember sitting there going, wow, you actually said that? Like most people might think it, but you said it. That's impressive. And and as I sat there and I honestly wanted to just kind of unload on his naivete, but it caused me to pause. And instead I just asked a question. I said, that's a great question. Let me ask you this. Why in the world do 80-year-old people then keep going to church? I mean, you're 15. I think they've heard a little more than you have. And and he didn't really have an answer for that, but it, it caused me to think, you know what though? That is a really important question, actually. If this is just part of our routine, if this is just what we do on Sunday mornings or because you enjoy getting to see people here, and those are fine things, but if the primary reason isn't that I'm going to come and hear Christ, then maybe it's a good question that you'd ask the same thing of yourself. Why are we doing this? This is why we do it. Because we want to know, God, you've called us into a new family, into a new dynamic. We want to live according to that. And that brings us to our final point today. Number three, live out God's expectations as a member of his household. Live out God's expectations as a member of his household. We're going to spend the majority of our time today in this last part of the passage because it is so thick. 
And it is so rich to actually answering this question because I think it'd be a fair thing if up to this point you're saying, okay, Todd, you're saying I used to wear old clothes. I should get rid of those and put on new ones. That would be great if, if the Christian life were that easy of simply taking one thing off and putting something else on. And I get that. So let's walk through what Paul gives us as, as really, I think, actually a process Not a formula as much as a method to say, how do these things actually change in my life? How do I change these clothes? Look at the last couple of verses, verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's this phrase, the whole motif of today, new uniforms, it all comes from this kind of now uh, metaphor that Paul's using about taking off and putting on. It's very much the, the Greek um, basic verbiage of how to change your clothes. I'm changing from this set to another, and I love very timely article, Donna Walker's article, if you get our Connections magazine or you saw it online, she wrote an article called, Who Are You Wearing?, is beautiful timed for what we're looking at today. And that's the whole point of what we're looking at. So here's the thing. Paul, writing to the first century, the basic metaphor we all get, but I want to add another layer to it because there's actually a piece of the first century that we don't really relate to like they would have. When they were reading this letter to the church at Ephesus, they were actually adding a second, under, like a second layer of understanding that we read right over the top. From a commentary on the book of Colossians, Colossians uses the same metaphor when Paul writes to that church. And Colossae was about 150 miles east of Ephesus. So they were neighbors. They would have had the same first cultural, first century cultural understandings. This is what the commentator writes. It's on the screen. By Roman law, people of different social classes were required to wear different sorts of clothing. For example, some types of tunics or ornamentation of tunics could be worn by those only in the senatorial type of a class, and different clothing was prescribed for single or married people. Such regulations may not have been as clear or as strict everywhere in the empire, but some marks of distinction had spread eastward. So, for instance, to Colossae, to Ephesus. So when the recipients of Colossians, or in this case Ephesians, hear the language of taking off old clothing and putting on new, it is a powerful metaphor that symbolizes what? A change in identities. You see, it wasn't just something that was, oh, I'm going to change this shirt for that shirt. It was, if I'm a single person, kind of by law, I'm supposed to dress X way. But once I'm married, now I dress Y. If I'm of the senatorial class, I get to have ornamentation on my robes, but if I'm not, I don't. So when Paul says, you need to take off and put on according to your new identity, they got it. They understood the metaphor so fully. And for us today, we can go, cool, I understood the surface of the metaphor, but now I really get it even more. I'm supposed to dress according to whose I am to dress according to my identity. So Paul gives us some incredibly helpful steps. We live out God's expectations as a member of his household, how? Well, first, by actively disengaging from your former life. By actively disengaging from your former life. Look at that phrase. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. We read that our former clothing was ill-fitting, 
It's inappropriate to who we are now. And the thing we can't do is just add new clothing on top of the old. I mean, think of that. Even just with the example we use today, you would not only still see the old clothing underneath, but everything associated with it would still be present. It makes no sense. Everyone gets that. I got to take off the one shirt before I can put on the new. The description that's connected to the old self, listen to that phrase, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. That word corrupted in the original language means to cause someone to become perverse or depraved as a type of moral destruction. Hmm. You, deceitfulness that brought a sense of corruption that my old clothes actually caused me to think. I'm not a victim, but the point is, remember how we said our actions and our behavior are linked. I thought this stuff made sense, but I was being deceived. And as a result of that deception, my actual person was being corrupted, was being destroyed. Some of you are here today and you go, you know what? I don't think it could be said any more accurately than that. The life you lived apart from Christ, that's the way you would describe it, destructive. And as a result of that, we look at that today and we go, praise God, I came in contact with the truth. Praise God, I came in contact. Because we're going to see in a minute, what do the new clothes look like? Well, this is the old self. And and the reality is this, is that, you know, if you talk to someone who came to Christ, like when I talk to people who come to Christ, like in their 20s and later, one of the conversations that we have is I'll ask them, I'll say, tell me what it was like, some of the things that you were just kind of living according to that you knew now in Christ were, were no longer appropriate. How hard was that to just make that change? And they will tell me at times, man, some things like some of the big rock sin kind of controls of my life just almost overnight were like, I have no compunction to do that again. I have no desire to go back to that. It's actually now becoming something where it was so attractive. It's just something that repulses me. And then I'll ask them, well, that's really cool, but what about the other areas? Oh, no, no, no. But it wasn't like that in everything. These other things took more time. These other things took more power from God for there to be change and really a partnership of my effort to do something about it. And, and the problem is sometimes when someone will get up and share kind of a drug, sex, and rock and roll kind of testimony, they're always about this big rock thing that God changed overnight, and the rest of us are like, ah, why isn't God doing that in my life? But they don't get to tell you about the other things that actually took more time and more process. Some clothes are harder to get off. And the thing I want you to hear, this is so, please don't miss this. If you are hearing right now that that just means, kind of like the expression we used last week, you just don't want it enough. You're not trying hard enough. And if you just try it, no, 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 no. Remember what we said a couple weeks ago? We need to pray for not just leaf blower type power in our lives or in other people's lives, but rocket engine power. This has been the thread all throughout the book of Ephesians. God needs, we need God to do things in our lives we cannot do for ourselves. And that dependency upon him is natural. It's right. It's what God intends. So rather than God, how do I just try harder to stop doing this? It's instead saying, God, I know one piece of the puzzle. I need your power because I am powerless to change. I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. It's not enough. It's not, it doesn't work. But God says all throughout this book of Ephesians, that's what I've given you the Holy Spirit and your power for to partner with you in change. 
The second aspect of how we live out this way is by pursuing God's renewal of your mind. Pursuing God's renewal of your mind, that middle phrase, to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Look at how this works. There's both an active and a passive element to this. Earlier it says you were taught. That's an active learning. That's an active understanding. You're not just hearing information, but you're actually grabbing hold of it. But look at the other phrase, "To to be made new. That's a passive verb. That's something that God is doing in you, to you. So it's this great partnership with God. You're gonna hear me talk about that time and time again. And I say it only to say, how cool is that? How cool is that, that God would say on the one hand, he wouldn't say on the one hand, hey, it's just up to you, try harder. But on the other hand, he also doesn't say, sit on the couch and I'll do it all for you. He says, join me. Join me in this collective partnership of you becoming who I always intended you to be. I love that. I love that God pulls us in and wants us. Look at this, another great example of the the expression or the explanation of God's partnership in helping us become who we are. It's also from Romans 12, and I'm also using the message again today because it says it so well. 12.1, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, watch, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Don't miss this integral piece. On the one hand, God says, disengage. Take off these old clothes. But even before he comes over here to tell you what to put on, he says, be made new in the attitude of your thinking. You've tried this before. There have been efforts on your part, kind of a process on your part to put off a part of the old clothing of your old ways. And in doing so, what's happened is you actually found success for a day or two or a week. But the problem is, is what didn't happen was any other further step. It was simply, I'm in a sense kind of defining my relationship with God based on what I'm not doing. I'm no longer doing X. The problem was God says, it's great. You have to start there, but you're not done because there's this step of what are you actually going to replace in that vacuum? You and I've done that before. We've said, God, this area doesn't make sense. It's not appropriate to my new identity in you. And as you've kind of taken it off, we haven't refilled it with something new and just created a vacuum. What so often happens, it just created a space for it to come back. So this middle step is huge. Be made new in the attitude of your mind. And that finally brings us to our last step today, actively engaging who you were created to be. I become this member of the household of God by actively engaging who you were created to be. That final phrase, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I really love that last phrase, created to be like God, because you see it's the direct antithesis to the first phrase. The first phrase over here, 
that, that you were someone who was corrupted by deceitful desires. Now when you put on the new self, the new clothes, you realize that you were who God always intended you to be. No longer being corrupted, instead living out your created design. What a cool picture. What a cool thing to see. This was God's intent and what he's been after all along. And we get to live that out. God's design from ages past, eternity past, finally begins to make sense. Now, I want to do this. I want you to hang with me for a couple more minutes. Here's the thing. To lay out all of this information and not get real practical, I think, would be really foolish. So let's take an example. Let's say that you're here today and you've put your faith in Christ that that you're wearing new clothes, okay? But as you look at your life, you realize that there's some ornamentation that's left over, Okay, some stuff from, from before that was the old stuff that has no place in your life any longer. And let's say that area of your life is impatience. You're an incredibly impatient person and, and you said, God, I need help in this. I know it's, it's not right to, to just be frustrated and angry that I'm always having to wait on other people or that people don't get it quick enough or whatever, fill in the blank. I am an impatient person. You don't have to tell me that, Todd. I already knew it, but I don't know how to change. Here's what some of us have done. Some of us have said, you know what? Todd, it's just who I am. And I would say, no, it's who you were. It's who you were. Don't, don't be defeated. Don't give up. And let's actually engage this process. So let's say you're over here and, and you're going, okay, I've got I've to put this stuff off. There is an activeness to this, a partnership with God. So I've got to put off the old self. So what does it like to, to look like to put off impatience? Well, what it means is this, that when you drive to work, you have a 15-minute commute, and you know if you leave the house at this time, you'll get to work at that time, and you give yourself that much time every single day. But all of a sudden, there's a traffic jam. All of a sudden, there's road construction. All of a sudden, there's something that throws a curveball, and so now your 15-minute world is blown up. And so what do you do? You lay on the horn. You give it to everyone when you get in the office. You're not sorry about anything. Yosemite Sam, you know, kind of language. And, um, and, and it's because you have an impatient heart that, that had expectations that weren't met. So what do you do? There's nothing really to do other than to go right back to the old clothing. So taking that off, disengaging from that says this, God, my expectations are not being met right now. I am going to be late. Rather than my knee-jerk reaction of getting angry that my expectations aren't being met, that life isn't going the way I want it to go, I'm just going to breathe. Yesterday, I drove up to the high desert with my oldest daughter, and on the way home, I was talking to my wife on the phone on the way home, it almost felt like there was a big target on the front of our car that said, cut me off. Everything I would do, just pulling in front. And honestly, at a point, it became laughable. I think that's actually a a good, I'm not using myself as an example because I often don't laugh. But, But the point is, there is a better way to respond than lay on the horn, I'm just mad at the world because my expectations aren't being met. I disengage that. I say, God, I'm going to do something. There's, there's got to, I'm not going to give in to that knee-jerk response of being impatient. Now, in this middle step, though, in this middle part, and I don't want to create this linear process like step A, step B, step C, but there is this process going on. Guess what I'm actively doing, though? I'm filling my mind with new information. I'm being made new in the attitude of my mind, so guess what I do? I find a book that talks about how God has designed me to be a patient person. 
I realized, by the way, that patience, what, is an evidence of the presence of the Spirit in my life. Found in Galatians chapter 5, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. So patience is a non-negotiable. It's not like, well, you know, if you're not patient, what do you do? If you're not patient, it doesn't look like the Spirit lives here. That, that's what we are to, to be about. That's what our new clothes look like. So now I start doing some, some, some just more active study. God, right now, I don't think patience is important or I don't think patience is doable. I'm going to fill my mind with something different. I listen to podcasts. I pick up a book. I have a conversation with someone who in my life exudes patience and I cannot figure them out. So I say, how do you do it? Those are all actively changing your mind. And finally, then guess what I do? I don't just create a vacuum of disengaging. I engage in something new. And I go into my day, into my time with my kids, into my whatever part of my world and say, God, today, give me a fuse that's much longer than yesterday. And I talk slower. I begin to say, you know what? That's interesting. I'm going to be late today. I'm going to make a phone call and let people know. And I'm going to get there when I get there. This is all part of a process. This is all part of a way that actually happens. So God doesn't say, here's your old clothes, fix it. God says, here were your old clothes. This is how this actually begins to change. So that's why this week our game plan, actively disengage and engage according to your new identity in Jesus. Actively disengage and engage according to your new identity in Jesus. And the great news is, Don't walk away here today with how are you going to try harder. Walk away today saying, God, I need you so bad. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you today as a people who are so grateful for new clothes. So grateful for the fact of whose we are. Just even getting to read these banners, reading the posters. My heart was so encouraged last weekend that we have a deep gratitude for who you have made us to become, who you've changed us to be. Our identity is now wrapped up in Christ, and we want to embody that. We want to demonstrate him to our worlds this week. If you're here today and you would say, Todd, I've heard about Christ, but I haven't really heard him. I haven't really responded to his love for me. I want to tell you some great news. You totally can do that before you leave today. By admitting that you're a sinner and saying, you know what, I, I know I've not lived according to God's way. I know I'm still wearing those old clothes. By believing that Jesus is the only Savior available. Believe that he can actually provide a way for you to be right with your creator. And see, choose. Choose what we've talked about today. Choose to be a part of this disengaging and engaging aspect of being made new. That can become your reality today. And I want to encourage you, when, when you pray that prayer, when you make that initial response to Jesus, I want to encourage you to tell someone. I want to encourage you to tell someone, I did that today. I I put a a line in the sand and I said, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Not only making that commitment to him personally, but telling someone relationally, just, it is so rich and so refreshing. I want to encourage you to do that today. Father, we love you. Help us walk your ways this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.